0: something great. So let's go. Yala. Well, welcome to Jew and Gentile. Again, this is David Halevi. I'm with Aaron Marshall and uh, we are excited to be back to talk about a couple things, have a really great show planned for you guys today. Uh, in a minute, we're going to bring on Anthony Cummings. And um, he uh, tutors and teaches Biblical Hebrew, Biblical Aramaic, and Biblical Greek. So we're going to get into some really interesting topics today. Um, and, you know, Aaron, we often talk about objections to the Bible um, from various sources, secular, atheists, just general skeptics. And one of those objections is just simple or or uh, what we would define as simple contradictions in the New Testament or even the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures um, but a lot of people read these things in the new Testament and which we're going one of, them we're going to cover today, which is the genealogies of Yeshua Jesus. Um, and they say, well, they, they don't match. Why are there two of them? It's just kind of confusing. And it's a simple objection we find often, but we're going to discuss that today. And it's something that, uh, have you talked to many people about, it or is it something that doesn't really come up for you?
1: I haven't really had a whole lot of People objecting about the genealogies. To me personally, I'm excited to hear from from you guys uh, who know this stuff. Uh, certainly, that stuff a lot better than I do. Uh, but I, I think your your point about that we hear lots of uh, lots of people thinking that I, I've given you an objection that somehow that's going to destroy the scripture. And I think a lot of uh, Christians that I run across think that they've heard these objections, and it's as if the as if the church has never dealt with this before. This is something new. This is something that um, that's going to just destroy the faith. and And so, I guess the only you know on the outset, what I would say is is there is not a single objection that that's going to come up that has not already been identified and dealt with by a Christian. Now, you may not, as an objector, you may not agree with the. The, uh, the answer, the answer that, you know, the, the, what they give. But the idea that somehow there are these all these objections out there that Christians are just sticking their head in the ground and they don't want to deal with. is just not true. I just as a quick story, I just remember when the in, Internet infidels, which is always, you know, which is a good site, uh, the infrared, <laughs> inter, Internet infidels came up with the blasphemy challenge. Have you ever heard the blasphemy challenge? No, that's where they had all these high school kids go on to uh, YouTube and deny the Holy Spirit because that was supposed to just. Remove them from the possibility of being a Christian forever oh. because they've denied the Holy spirit. That's the only unforgivable sin, oh, right, uh, yeah. which I think is obviously completely taken out of context. <laughs> right. But anyway, they came up with a list of 660, some, of, you know, 660, some contradiction, alleged contradictions in the Bible. And I remember within two weeks uh, or maybe even clo- sooner than that, there was a, a complete chart that was done by a lot of the apologists on CAA, uh, uh a Facebook website that had answered every single one of those, Um, not because they just came up with them, but they were already out there and they sort of compiled them. And so I think just anybody that's listening that hears there's some objection, you know, there's some, there's some alleged contradiction in scripture that's just going to destroy the Bible. Just know that those have all been answered. And the question for you is to go and, or the, the, the duty for you is to go and try to find in the way in which they've been answered and then see if you think that they, that they hold up, but don't, but don't just to throw your hands up in the air and just think, well, I guess this is something I can't answer. And Christians have never answered it. And we might as well just, you know, drop Christianity and, and do something else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And something that I would encourage all professing believers is when you come across someone who doesn't believe what you believe um, first of all if you never come across that person you need to get out a little bit much because trust me they're out there <laughs> I, I disagree
1: with myself
0: most of the time so <laughs> you need to get out there and find some people that disagree with you and then step two would be don't yell at that person don't tell them well that's stupid the bible says so or, or something very generically uh christian uh, that's why most people who don't believe in our faith think that we're dumb it's because we don't often have good answers so uh, and you don't have to have good answers. If you, if you guys have heard in previous episodes, um, if you don't have an answer, that's fine. Just continue to ask questions. So if someone has an objection or, or they have a—well, con- the Bible contradicts themselves, just say, oh, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, there's things that, that one guy says and the other guy says it's different. Oh, okay, well, well, how did you come to that conclusion? And all of a sudden, wait, now they have to get give evidence for what they just said, and most people can't do that. Um, so it, we're not trying to get people like, ah, I gotcha, you know, but uh, we are trying to get them to think a little bit about why they believe what they believe. And, and, and that's also, why we're here, too. We're trying to get you to think about why you believe what you believe.
1: Right. And but and also, um, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. That's really good. I never thought about that before. In fact, mm-hmm. I never heard that before. Can I write that down? Can I go and look that up? Can I, uh, you know, I'm really interested in that. Can I, can you give me a week or you know, however long to go and think about it? And then you can, then you can write it down. You can get in. You can compile a list of, you know, maybe some objections or stuff that the person has said and then take the time to study. We've got you know, infinite number of resources that you can use to get some answers, then to go back to that person. And now you're now you can answer those. Maybe it comes up some other things and then you can go back and get some more answers for those. But we don't have to think that we have to have all the answers right then. And I think that's one of the main reasons people don't evangelize is because they'll people say, well, they may ask me a question I don't know the answer to. The best thing you could ever say to somebody is I don't know, great question. Let's find out together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It really, you know, when you come to people with a humble attitude, it really goes a long way with you developing relationship with that person first of all, but honestly, most people don't have a humble attitude about things. Most it Christians is, don't, most,
1: honestly. Most Christians. He said like generically Christian, generically Christian is just yelling at people, I think.
0: <laughs> there was a book. Yeah, oh my goodness. There okay. was a there was a book. There was a book. <laughs> Just about yelling. at <laughs> All right. Well, enough goofball. And um, <clears throat> let's get into uh, the, these first couple topics. And I want to bring uh, Anthony Cummings on. And uh, Anthony, welcome to the Joe Gentile show.
2: Thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for making time in your day. I know you're busy with the move and everything. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, just spend you know two minutes kind of talking about how you came to uh, be interested in in really delving deep and learning the um, biblical languages
2: well uh to sum it up man uh part of that was when i come to the faith um you you have this hunger right you know yeshua taught that blessed are those who hunger and thirst so you come to the faith you have this natural hunger that this uh the new life in christ the new life in messiah gives you and eventually you, uh, like you guys were talking about, you come across people who say, oh, this was corrupted. Oh, there's a textual variant here. Oh, this manuscript added something. So it's almost like in our day and age, we cannot ignore this anymore. Maybe in the past, uh, pastors didn't have to look at this, or even youth leaders didn't have to look at this, or believers who just sat in a pew didn't have to look at this. And we live in a day and age where we just can't ignore this stuff anymore, because that is some of the main objections that atheists or skeptics, as you guys know, Bart Ehrman among many, bring among us. So Uh, And also dialoguing with counter-missionary rabbis online and people from Jews for Judaism. This forced me into going, okay, I have to learn this. So uh, about six years ago, I... Paid an Orthodox Jewish friend of mine a tutor who's in Israel. His name is uh, Yoel Ben Shlomo. Uh, he he was in Rico Cortez's. Uh, he doesn't
0: sound Jewish at all. Are you sure? Uh, he was Jewish. Well, that's
2: what he, that, that's what he says. Okay. I mean, I can give you his. Okay. I can give you his Facebook. <laughs> all
0: right. I'm sorry. To interrupt. His
2: real name is
1: Brian Smith. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, if you guys talk to him, you'll hear the accent. He was raised in the UK, but his dad was a rabbi. But uh, Enrico Cortez's ministry, uh, Wisdom for Torah, he's the Hebrew Roots Ministry. Now, again, off and on, I I check out what Rico's doing. I don't follow him wholeheartedly, but through his ministry, I got a hold of Yoel. And for a year, I was tutored through him, and I took that education— as I was able to, while I was working, and took courses by Dr. Michael Heiser, Dr. Bill Barrick, and so on and so forth online, and built up more uh, to learn Hebrew. And mainly, it was because you're, uh, you 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 have this chal these challenges coming against you, and it's like if you don't deal with them, they deal with you. So it's almost like it's a good thing to be challenged out of your comfort zone because it it makes you stronger and it makes you seek answers. Whereas before, when you're comfortable, you don't seek any kind of answers. Almost like you get too comfortable and you take for granted what you believe in. So so when I'm learning, it sometimes opposition is a good thing to make us grow and mature so that, yeah, that, and I, that's the
1: that's short answer I, uh, I totally agree with you in the sense of one of the things we're trying to talk to our students about this semester is developing this growth mindset and that's one of just intellectual curiosity and like you said just c- realizing, coming up with all these questions that people pose to you but then having sort of the just the curiosity to wanting to find those answers and I mean, I'm convinced, and I, I think you are as well. And, and uh, David is that uh, if we seek the truth, we will find it in Jesus. And so we should never be afraid of uh, asking these hard questions and and going down the going down this uh, this road of, of asking hard questions and and being open to the answers. Um, Anthony, could you uh, just one second? Um, you were telling us before we started uh, a little bit about your background, and I'd love to. Maybe if you would take a couple minutes to just share that, because I thought it was really interesting the stuff that you were sharing in regards to uh, to how you became a believer.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we moved immediately to the south. I was I was raised in Southern Mississippi, Southern Alabama, in the Mobile area. And make a long story short, my my real dad left me uh, and my mom at an early age. So. Uh, by, by the time I was twelve or thirteen years old, I had uh, been invited to church. I heard the gospel. I received the gospel, and it wasn't just a religious routine. It really changed me inwardly. And from that point on, um, <clears throat> I tell people, uh, I don't care who you are, man. You can be a Jew, non-Jew, believer, non-believer. There's something in men when they're and the young boys that want a fatherly affirmation. And I think that's a uh, it's a it's a thing that we take for granted this day. But for me, that's what I wanted. So make a long story short, there was elders and different families in that church that, that that I believe God put on their heart to take me into their home and do their best. Nobody's perfect at this, but do their best to father me in a way to try, uh, as I allowed them. They never forced themselves on me. And. Psalm sixty-eight, verses five and six. David says that God is a father to the fatherless. And when I was young, around thirteen or fourteen years old, I clung to that. Even to the point when I got, when I got older, I got a tattoo of it. Now, you guys might disagree or agree with tattoos, but it meant so much to me that um, that. In the beginning, I was like, you know, I, I didn't know I was like crying out to God in prayer and alone going, God, I want you to be a, a father to me. You know, New Testament says to call you Abba. And I see where the prophets in the Hebrew Bible called you uh, Abba or Father and different things. And I never understood. And it's almost like, you know, uh, I, I, it's almost like when you're when you're a new believer, you just have these unrealistic expectations sometimes. And it took, you know, a guy coming up to me saying, yeah, God uses his people. And so, yeah, he wants to use elders. He wants to use these father figures in your life, and that's how God will quote unquote father you. He'll he'll use you. You know, like Solomon. God said, "I'll discipline Solomon when he goes off when he does something wrong." And he did it through the nations. He did it through unbelievers. He did it in different ways. So, make a You know, I clung to that. You know, and 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 from that point, that laid a foundation in my life. Um, so. Then I started doing music, helping out with music in the church, and then eventually you get to a point where you face these objections and six years ago that's when I started learning the biblical languages little by little Started off with Hebrew and then later on grafted in New Testament Greek and later on grafted in uh, Aramaic so that's where I'm at on my journey man and I just think um, you bring up
1: such an important point that we we love apologetics we love getting into the you know to the to the deep questions but but so many people their basic objection is how can I how can I love? How can I understand this love that you talk about from this heavenly father when I don't even know the love of my earthly father? And yes. so much of what we what we what we see with people is just hurt. And 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 we have all these great intellectual arguments and they're and you know we believe that what we believe is really true and but so much of what what people are going through like you said is just they just we just want someone to love us unconditionally and we have that in Jesus but we have to you know we have to be willing to sort of Recognize that with people that, you know, lots of people are looking for, you know, good discussion and arguments, but a lot of people, they're just looking for somebody to love them unconditionally. And we get, we get the privilege of introducing them to Jesus. And it's pretty amazing.
2: There's one thing you see, I'll say this real quick, and I, I won't take much time off, if you guys don't mind. When, when I look it's at the Jew like and
0: Gentile scripture. show, Anthony. It's not the Anthony Cumming show. Okay?
2: <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I'll kidding. Be Go done ahead. With this. No, 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 no. I'm Go promise. ahead.
0: Go ahead. I'm just kidding.
2: Uh, so, so, so the Jew and Gentile show, right? So the rabbi, Rabbi Shaul, Paul, right? He goes to the Corinth. And he gives them the gospel, but there's interesting language in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. He writes in his letter, he said, I became a father to you. He says, you guys have 10,000 teachers. You have so many teachers among you, but you don't have many fathers among you. It's a very interesting phrase that Paul writes about. And he says, but I came. I became a father to you through the gospel, right? I, I fathered you in the gospel. And he fathered Timothy, right? Timothy's mother was Jewish, but his dad was Greek. Look at Titus. He took these he said he called them spiritual sons, so there is this element i don 't want to get too wacky here, but there is this element uh, of spiritual fathering if you could put it that way or if you want to give it another name, there is this element of of a father raising up a son it may not be your biological son, but raising them up in the faith, and it's still looked at as a father son relationship and this you know spiritually if you want to put it that way
0: well sure I mean obviously God wants to see every family on this planet uh, that is a biological family be whole if if possible but you know, man is, is fallen and, and God knows that man is corrupt and, uh, provides, um, a beautiful family as dysfunctional as sometimes it it can also be though, um, in, uh, in the church, in those who believe in him and accept him, uh, and his plan on this, on this, on this earth. So, man, that's awesome. You know, that's really encouraging. And, um, you know, I think it's, I'm sure it's encouraging to our listeners as well. Um, so, getting back to kind of your background and and, you know i'm a big fan of michael heiser as well and uh if our listeners haven't read unseen realm i would highly recommend it but you know he says something that um my professors in school said all the time which was if you are reading the bible you really need to imagine yourself um, reading over the shoulder of whomever uh, whatever particular text you are reading was written to so You know, if you're reading in the Torah or you're reading to the prophets Isaiah or you're reading in uh, Nehemiah, you know, if you're reading Nehemiah, you know, we really need to step back and say, okay, who are these people who rebuilt this wall with Nehemiah and who is this guy that came and became the governor of Jerusalem? And it's not, you can't look at it from a perspective, you know, a 21st century perspective in, you know, the South or the North or whatever, you know, main, mainline USA, you've really got to peer over the shoulder of that person and and i think that helps a lot with what we're going to talk about when we're talking about the genealogies of jesus and um i don't know would you agree with that guys or i mean what's your kind of perspective on context
2: go ahead
1: aaron yeah uh, yeah i mean i think uh you know greg kokel has a as a pamphlet never read a bible verse and i think that's just the, what he means by that is um we never ever read a verse Singularly, we have to read it in context, and and in context do, context does mean not only what does the paragraph say, but also trying to get an understanding of what did the author intend it to mean when he wrote it. And I think one of the professor, one of the guys that I that I listened to in my hermeneutics um, studies, said it can never mean. What the it can never mean something now that it was that it could not have meant back then, right uh, so I don't know what you guys think about that, but but I just mm-hmm. see this so much, and obviously the the verse that I always use uh, taken off context is jeremiah twenty nine eleven where people just take that verse out of context, but they don't understand who it's written to and and what it's written for. and so yeah, I think understanding context uh can save us from really bad exegetical fallacies. By just understanding not only the context, but like you said, uh, knowing more about the author and uh, the intended audience. And that's and that's certainly something that I just – I haven't studied as much as I'd like to, and I'd love to you know, study that more and, and learn from you guys.
2: Yeah, definitely. I agree with you, man, I, and I highly recommend uh, Dr. Heiser's book, The Unseen Realm. And if you guys have the money to buy or download the Kindle of his 60-second scholar series where he just takes little bits about – Know how to study the Bible, different things. You may say, "Well, I already know how to study the Bible," but coming from his view, you know how Heiser does. He says he wants you to look at the Hebrew Bible through through the lens of the ancient Israelite, the culture and the context. It's really, really well done. He kind of explores. Uh, traditions that have overrode, you know, the contextual and, and the consistent witness of the scriptures. It's really, really good. It's like a it's just like a daily reading done by Dr. Michael Heiser. But I agree with you. Um, I would never say that the Gentile has to become a Jew, right? But there are things. I'll give you one example before we move forward. Mm. That that it can only be understood from a Jewish side. Uh, take, for instance, uh, uh, David. I always wrestled with when Paul in Romans he quotes Deuteronomy. And he says that uh, that that Christ or Messiah is not so far up in the heavens that you can't you know go up to you know that you have to go up there and get him. He's not so far in the abyss that you have to reach up and bring Christ up. And I'm sitting here going, you know, one of the major objections is, well, Paul is just completely misquoting Deuteronomy. You know, there's nothing about Jesus in Deuteronomy. Right. But you but you look at that, Dr. Craig Keener and other people have said, of course, this is Midrashic speech. And see the Gentile church, and unless you study midrash, now again, I'm not saying become part of the Jews for Jude- Jews for Judaism, this, that, and the other, but there's still a Jewish mindset behind Paul, even when he's writing to Gentiles. Uh, another example is, Gent- uh, is, is in Galatians, where he compares the children of Hagar with the children of Isaac and he uses Midrashic speech. He says, you guys in Messiah Jesus, you're the children of the promise, right? He says, you're from Isaac. You're not children of Hagar. In other words, children of the flesh, because Sarah, when you go back and look at that, uh, Sarah got impatient, didn't want to wait on Yahweh, and and told Abraham to go have sexual relations with Hagar. So that's carnality. So he uses Midrashic speech there, too. So These things I wrestled with in the beginning, and then when you have counter-missionary rabbis or people from Judaism mainly coming at you saying, Paul just completely butchered that, I didn't have an answer until I heard Dr. Craig Keener, and I started researching this stuff a little bit deeper. And it's clearly Midrashic speech, and a lot of times churches don't talk about this stuff. I'm not saying they have to become Jewish, but there's clearly a Jewish mindset behind much of what Paul says, and and, we got to take that in consideration. And, And what do you mean by Midrashic speech? Well, it's like where Paul takes something from the Torah, and he he makes an application to something he's speaking about. So he's speaking about the gospel of the Messiah, but he takes something from the Torah that doesn't have Christ in it, but he'll compare it. When you look at how, like, maybe some of the medieval rabbis broke down Proverbs— Talk about the adulterous woman, right? It clearly contextually talks about, you know, parts, parts of Proverbs talk about the adulterous woman. But then they would take that a bit f- further and they would say, well, yeah, the adulterous woman is like when we go worship other gods. It's like when Israel went to worship other gods, it's committing spiritual adultery. And they would write, they would sort of compare that. Now, that's that has nothing to do with the Proverbs. Talking about you know Solomon warning, don't go after this woman with the you know the the sweet lips and all these different things and commit adultery. But the rabbis took it to another level, and that's called midrash. They said, okay, here's what it's saying you know on the on the surface level, but we're going to apply it over here spiritually, saying that if we go after this woman, it's almost like us going after other gods and cheating on the God of Israel. So it's kind of taken just a, a metaphorical. Um, Taking the concept that's clearly in the scripture, but applying it in a different atmosphere, uh, a different context. Yeah. does that and, make sense?
0: Yeah, um, oftentimes um, in Jewish thought, um, especially in rabbinical thought, you have there's there's it, in Hebrew I won't, won't go into what it's called in Hebrew, but basically it's it's that every single contextual meaning in the Bible has multiple deeper meanings. Um, and so you might have the simple explanation and then you have the more complex explanation and then you have an even more complex explanation. It just goes mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper. We're actually going to exactly. get in one of these when we, when we talk about John here a little bit.
1: But then how do you, I mean, I guess this, the question then comes, how do you not do what we were just talking about not doing, which is taking stuff out of context and, uh, you know, making it apply to me. And, and I, and, and, and I could just say, well, I'm just, I'm just taking a deeper understanding than, then is on the surface how do i how do i understand the difference between what you're saying um what Paul's doing and that's in in it's 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 legal i mean it's 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 acceptable sure. and what other things that you would say would that people we know they're taking verses out of context it's not acceptable how do no, you know how do you, that's how a great do you separate question. those two and
0: i mean honestly a huge portion of the talmud and um, and all these areas where they do and go to those "quote unquote" deeper meanings or explanations, whatever they are, they're—I don't—I don't, I don't want to say garbage, but they're not correct. I mean, if you compare them w- with the consistency of biblical truth, um, you can't really—they can't really re- be relied upon. They contradict Scripture, they contradict Mo- Moses or the prophets or whomever it is. And so many times, just as the same way that Christians get into trouble doing the same thing, they get into trouble doing those same things. Um, The only thing I can say with Paul is, well, that he was specifically discipled by um, Yeshua, Jesus himself. And then also so were the apostles and and, um, first century writers. So when they do it, Jesus himself does it, which we're going to we're going to look at a little bit um, here in a little while. So do you have anything to add to that, Anthony?
2: Yeah, I would just say this, Aaron, uh, in, in Acts chapter one, verses one and two, it says when Jesus ascended into the heavens, that he gave commandments through the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. He gave commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. So that and upon other, I could go to other places, but that alone shows me that Luke is saying that what the apostles wrote were inspired. Uh, There's other places where Peter said that the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of Messiah was in the Hebrew prophets foretelling of Christ's own suffering too. So Peter the Jew is recognizing that the same spirit that they had in the Holy as, uh, in the Holy Spirit was in this, the same spirit in the Hebrew prophets as well. So I would agree with David here that basically we have to trust that the apostles were led by the Spirit, the, led by Jesus Himself. But that doesn't mean that we turn off our mind. I'm just saying there's there's going to be questions like when you read Romans about where Paul compared, you know quotes Deuteronomy but inserts Christ, you know, making an application to Christ instead of the law like Deuteronomy does. You're going to ask yourself, how do I reconcile this? Well. Paul was a rabbi, and again, he wasn't. Uh, you know, he, he threw off the Pharisaical traditions that went against the Torah, that went against Messiah Jesus. But he still had that mindset. Okay, I'm going to write to the believers, so let me make this comparison out of the Torah, but point it to Jesus. And the same thing in Galatians. So. I would just say, why is why is Paul writing this way? And then do some deeper studies. Look up Craig Keener. Look up Michael Brown. Look up Heiser. Look at these different people that has researched this. And, and David, uh, what's his name? Uh, David, what is the uh, – David Instant Brewer is an excellent scholar who studies this stuff. He's a believer, but he's a scholar who goes into the deeper meaning of this. And it's not mystical. It, it's all contextual. So I'll say study the surface level first. And then when you come across something you can't reconcile that Paul's quoting, ask yourself, why is Paul quoting this, but I can't find it in the, in the Old Testament? What's he doing here? What's going on here? And then it makes you, it forces you to go a deeper study. But so, so let me just repeat back to you guys sort of what I'm hearing, that what you're
1: saying is that generally the midrash is not helpful, and a lot of what rabbis are doing is sort of just making stuff up. But obviously, if, you're, if you're, Paul's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so we can trust that. Is that what you're
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, Paul had a a personal relationship with the person who wrote the Bible, right. essentially. Right. So um, we we are we're one degree separated from that at least. Right. Plus, with thousands of years of context and and experience, of which we don't understand, um, but at the same time we do have the holy spirit and we do have the helper that god has given us to help us understand any things knowing that all these things all these hidden things within the hebrew scriptures that were unknown and then made clear to the apostles and paul and, and others as well are also made known to us in a way that's only that let me put it this way knowing that yeshua jesus is the messiah and that he is the word that he is um, part of the triune Godhead, and that when every time a prophet wrote that the word of the Lord came to him, it was actually the word, it was Yeshua, it was the eventual Savior of the world. So if we're talking about the law, we're talking about literally the word, um, the, Who the, the person who wrote the law, essentially, for mankind. So there's lots of things like that. When you look at it from that perspective, okay, well, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I can get where Paul got that from. Without going to some extra biblical, even you know rabbinical source, but at the same time, you also have to understand that, um, or you know, in general, a lot of Jews at that time had that mentality of they they knew these passages inside and out. They had them memorized, and so as soon as these pu- puzzle pieces were put into place, things clicked and said, "Oh wow, okay, that means this," and so we can do the same thing with tons of passages in the Bible and. Um, uh, it's just, it's kind of the revelation is, is, you know, I go around and I do a lot of Passover seders and Aaron, we, you know, we did one at Rasho Christine it's kind of growing up in the church and seeing the communion take place in front of you and kind of getting that, okay, it kind of represents these things, but then looking at it from the Jewish perspective and all of a sudden it's a mile deep mm. and now I get, wow, this goes so deep and it's just one thing of this Passover seder, which all goes back to communion, Right. So it's it's those kinds of things.
2: Right, and I would just say this too, Aaron, real quick, and I'll... I'll, give it back to david here is that is that nothing uh the only two places i know where paul did midrash was in romans and in galatians and nothing he taught in the midrash goes against the torah goes against what jesus taught or anything so it's i think what what david is talking about is the midrash by the rabbis that go against the torah they go beyond the torah go beyond you know and that's where you have to be very careful somebody says i have special revelation or special insight and that insight clearly goes against the contextual consistent and coherent witness of the scriptures and the character of God, and so on and so forth, then you, you're like, no, we, we're, we're told to test the spirits, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Uh, but there there could be another level of interpretation, and that's all it is. Paul didn't teach anything in the Midrash and Romans or Galatians that went against the five books of Moses or the prophets. He was just bringing it out for the Gentile believers to understand in Rome and also in Galatia. That's all it is. Right, okay.
0: Well, let's, let's get into, uh, since we're, um, you know, half an hour in here we can get into our topic at hand right <laughs> um at least so i have the book of matthew open if and if and if you're um, listening you want going to turn to uh, luke as well we have two genealogies of the messiah of the proclaimed messiah um and i know a lot of jews who have come to faith actually just reading these gene- genealogies especially in matthew because it starts out the book of genealogy of jesus christ the son of david son of abraham
1: And you're in Matthew 1.
0: I'm in Matthew 1. And, uh, you know, a lot of Jews open the New Testament thinking it's going to be this anti-Semitic book, and all of a sudden they're reading this very extremely uh, Jewish genealogy. Um, So I'll just cover really quickly um, some things about the Messiah. If you listen to the last episode, episode 2, that I had uh, my father Gershon Halevi on, we talked a little bit about um, the... Uh, criteria that the Messiah had to have. And one of those criteria is he had to be from the tribe of Judah. And so these genealogies lay out from both um from two sides of his family that he is in fact from the tribe of Judah. But the main question is, and I'll pose for you guys to see what you what you think is, main question that I get is well, if Jesus was supposedly the Son of God, um, why do we have his father's his earthly father's genealogy. So just to, for perspective, the genealogy in Matthew is from Joseph, his earthly father, who, which the New Testament and Christianity lays out was not his biological father, but he was in fact married to Miriam, Mary, his mother. And then the genealogy in Luke is his mother's genealogy, uh, which would make sense. But both are from the line of David, both from the tribe of Judah. And so I just want to ask you guys, um, and I have uh, You know my or I have an opinion that I've heard I'm not really hard fast on it But I think it's it's from a really good uh, scholar who was Arnold Fruitenbaum. But um, what do you guys think of Why is the genealogy in Matthew Who is the uh, The earthly father of Jesus Why is it even there Any takers
2: you, you want to go ahead Aaron or no Yeah no no you go ahead <clears throat> Well, I would um, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, David. On this um, is that in the Jewish culture, you 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 would want okay, if the Messiah is going to come, you would want to see who the earthly father is and where he's from. So even though we do have this miraculous conception happening here somehow uh, that Luke talks about and Matthew does as well, we need to see who Joseph is. You know, because again, in the Jewish culture, am I am I wrong, David? I'm going to ask you a question. Am I wrong if 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 somebody claims to be the Messiah, but even Even if their seed is not in the woman, if if somebody claims to be the Messiah and their earthly father is not of the tribe of Judah or of David, that would be an automatic turnoff, wouldn't it be? Or no?
0: That's correct. So in in Jewish, in the Bible, and and obviously the Jews come from the Bible, nation of Israel, your tribal identity is given to you from your father. And so to even be associated with the nation of Israel, you have to have a tribal identity, which is only given to you um, by your father. Okay. So yeah, that's something they would definitely want to know, um, and yeah. So did you have more on that, Anthony? Or
2: no, no, no. That's it. That's basically the the whole idea that I was getting to in the Jewish culture. It, if even if Miriam was of of the tribe of Judah, but Joseph wouldn't, it would be an automatic turnoff. That that's why I think that Matthew went to great lengths to show that Joseph's lineage was of the tribe of Judah.
0: Right. I mean, I've um, always
2: you know,
1: heard it's it's the Matthew was talking about his royal lineage and uh Luke's talking about um what his uh genealogical genealogical um heritage. I don't know, I'm I'm not, I'm not using the, that term correctly. But but essentially that right. Matthew is taking him through the that he's fulfilling the the um the the Davidic covenant. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they're taking him back through that line and that Luke is taking them um Back through a different line. That's why Luke doesn't Luke all the way back to goes all the way back to Adam.
0: Well, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's a couple different things here. Um, going to the endemic thing is that essentially, yes, he's the Messiah for the whole world, not just the Jewish people. Okay, which this is not laid out in the genealogies. It's just something that we uh, kind of come into greater clarity through Romans in the Book of Acts, but so that God's heart is always for the nations, not just the nation of Israel, but he uses the nation of Israel to um, bring salvation to the nations or the rest of the world, the Gentile world. But it's interesting, and, and this is something that I, I think that it does hold water, and that's that um, it's this idea that there is a, a king listed in uh, the genealogy of Matthew, and that is king... Um, uh, let's see here, let me find it here. It's King uh, King Jeconiah or Yehohania, um, and in verse eleven it says, "And Josiah, the father of Yehohania or Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the uh, deportation to Babylon." So there is one um, school of thought, which I think, like I said, is pretty good. I, I don't find any holes with it, but um, I'm sure that someone has a problem with it somewhere. <laughs> um, it's that the the line of Jeconiah was cursed, and so this is well-known in the Hebrew Scriptures, and we don't have time to go into it right now because we have other topics to get onto, but it's certainly something for further study, is that the line of Jeconiah was cursed. And so any reader, one, it's establishing, okay, well, at least his earthly father was from Judah and the Davidic line, as Miriam's line was as well. But on the other hand, you have a line of kings that was cursed and therefore um, could never have inherited the throne from that line. But you have another line that's equally as legitimate to the throne through Miriam, because it is not run through the line of Jeconiah. And so if you're first century Jew and you're reading these um, genealogies and you're intimately aware that the line of Jeconiah was cursed, the last person you would want to try to put in your line would be Jeconiah. So you wouldn't actually want him in your line. You would want a different line altogether, which we see through Miriam, through Mary. And so that's um, one explanation that I've heard that I think is intriguing, and I think it actually makes a lot of sense. It's, it's kind of saying this earthly line, this physical, biological line, which we are denying Jesus even has physically, right, is in fact um, uh, cursed. And so he could never have inherited the, ki- the throne through this line. Yet there's another line that comes through Miriam, through the Davidic line, That is legitimate. That doesn't have Jeconiah in it, and I think that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Now, I don't. I I know we can't get into this a lot, but if people want to go down deep on this, you can read Jeremiah chapter thirty-six, verse thirty, where it talks about Jehoiakim's line, uh, Jeconiah being cursed, and then you can. There's similar language between Jeremiah thirty-six, verse thirty, and Jeremiah twenty-two, verse thirty, as well, where there was repentance. But the big thing to think about, and I know you don't want to stick on this, but just to kind of put it out there for the listeners, is that Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23 speaks of Zerubbabel and it talks about the signet ring. And, and when you really kind of uh, sum this up, if you note Haggai two twenty-three, what it says, and then you compare that at, with Jeremiah 22, verse 24, you see where this, there is a, if you read it carefully, There is a reversal of the curse of that lineage. There is a reversal. I know you don't want to go there. I'm just saying, just for those who want to go down deeper on that, you can kind of research those scriptures.
0: Sure. No, you're right, and 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 yeah, definitely. And we could probably spend a whole show just talking about that. And there's there's different um, opinions on the reversal and what the implications of that were. Which um, honestly, I'm not. I haven't read as much on that side of the equation as I have on the other side, um, which I presented. And I don't really know to hold to either one, but it's just a couple of possibilities. But the basic thing is for your kind of cursory view of these two lineages, um, they're there essentially to establish that either lineage is from the Davidic line, is from the tribe of Judah. Um and uh in case you haven't listened to episode two which we deal with um uh this in greater depth as far as the as far as the tribe of Judah goes but the, 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 the Messiah had to come before the Second Temple was destroyed because he had to be from the tribe of Judah, the lineage of David. Um, and the only way to know that would be to look at the records, which we do not have. They were all destroyed when the Second Temple was destroyed. And so there's no possible way of knowing, even if the Messiah popped up today or someone claiming to be the Messiah, that he is from the tribe of Judah
2: right david would you also say that there is a especially in the uh, orthodox jewish community there's this automatic assumption that every time the word seed is mentioned zara in hebrew that it must come from the man but there are some exceptions in the hebrew bible to that like Genesis of course yeah yeah uh, so is do you think that's worth touching on or not really
0: um you know it's it's yeah within the ultra orthodox community i see what you're saying um but, uh, yeah, it's probably not something that our general listening base gets into much. I mean, um okay, you know, so uh, I don't know how much I want to cover here because I think this next thing we're going to talk about um in john is is probably more interesting. <laughs> okay, no, no problem, but no problem. you have a good point though,
1: but one uh, so here's one last question that may, yeah. may be of interest to um to some to some people is that in in you know, either Anthony or uh, David. The, ge- the genealogies do skip people. Do you agree with that or not? I mean, well, let me say it this way. Telescope. Some, was, sc- sorry?
0: they telescope.
1: Well, for instance, I mean, when it says so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so doesn't always mean that they were their immediate father. Is that true?
0: It depends on which genealogy you're speaking of.
1: Well, okay, just in, um, so let me ask you this. Would it be an appropriate, and this is, um, maybe again, maybe off topic, but would, this, would it be an appropriate way to sort of Count back the time and the years by just counting back genealogies. In other words, I mean, because my understanding was, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but the, that there are people in the genealogies that are missing. They're not complete. In other words, that we know if you compare the two, that that they're not all, that there are certain people that are missing so that they're not that it, you wouldn't then be able to use them to get an exact uh, specific year count or something like that, whereas some people have done that in the past. And I just was trying to I mean, I'm just trying to understand if, if, if you agree with that or not, because I've heard I've heard uh, both on those things. I don't know, Anthony, if you've got a thought on that.
2: Yeah, I well, the, the It's been um, it's been said by uh, Dr. Michael Brown and other people that uh, I think even um, Dr. Riddell Nick, of uh, Moody Institute, Moody Bible Institute, and other people that say that Matthew purposely broke his, broke his genealogy down to the to the royal to the main characters that that, that is in the royal line, uh, to the point where they even say that he did it purposely according to David, the Hebrew word, you know, dalet, uh, vav Dalit meaning equal fourteen, you know, mm-hmm. so because it points to David, you know, it points to David, you know, being the son of David and the Messiah, so. Um, that's, I, again, I can't say with absolute certainty that's why Matthew did it that way, but it is something to think about, that there are 14 different per- people there are uh, broken down, and it, it, it does now, you have to get into numerology. I'm not trying to say follow Gematria of the rabbis, but mm. that's that's something to put out there. What do you guys think about that? I mean, David, what do you think?
0: Yeah, well, just to kind of define really quickly, Gematria is a study of, if you don't know, in Hebrew, each character actually represents uh, a number. And so you can, um, for example, if you're saying just a real generic example would be um, Isaiah 53. So Yishayahu um, Hamish Vishalosh, is one way to say it, or most people would say, Yishayau, um, Nun Gimel, Nun Gimel, that means 53 in Hebrew. So there's two actually, Nun and Gimel actually have numeric um, values to them. Nun is a letter, Gimel is a letter. Um, so that's what gematria is. It's kind of the study of the numbers within Hebrew itself. Um, but to get on to, you know, I, that's really interesting. Actually, I never even, I've never heard of that, Anthony, so that's really cool. Um, I'll have to read on that. Um, but like you said, it's hard to put any real hard line stake in the Gematria stuff. Some of it's very Correct. interesting. Some of it's can really get you off track. Some, and, of us, and,
2: Yeah, some of it's way out there. You know, <laughs> so. We're really, we're
0: really, you know, Kabbalah is a lot of that kind of stuff going on too. But um, to get back to Aaron's question, and I think specific instances, there's definitely what I would call telescoping, where you kind of have these generations that are skipped in some genealogy in scripture. I think other genealogies in Scripture, it's really hard to get around that. So once people take the idea that, okay, if if, if Matthew here is is telescoping his genealogy to go with more to this Gematria theme or this Davidic number numbers theme, can, can't we just apply that to the genealogies in Genesis um, to say that, well, um, these there had to be—because we can go straight from Adam to Abraham in Genesis, um, but can't we just use that same thing and say that, we have more time between these people than what is shown. But Genesis, you know, uh, Moshe, Moses, does, takes careful, um, is, is very careful to lay out exactly who begot whom and how long they lived and at what time period in their life they had the next person. So sometimes I think that works fine, and it's, it's obvious that there is telescoping, and other times I would say <laughs> that there's not.
2: Right, and, and I would even say this, this is not a New Testament phenomenon. If you look at first chronicles chapter two, verses thirteen through sixteen, and you really study that in depth, the chronicler there is not mentioning every generation. Right. He's mentioning main name. So this actually began in the Hebrew Bible. This right. is not nothing Matthew just pulled up out of the blue and said, I'm just going to mention who I want to mention here. It was already culturally laid out in, in Jewish tradition and Jewish culture. So it, it's not like he's making this stuff up. And you would think if he's doing this, that somebody would have called this out in the first right, century, right. but nobody <laughs> did. You know? but I so, think,
1: and that's a good point that you make is that, and like you were saying even earlier, Anthony, of understanding Jewish culture helps me to deal with apparent contradictions, errors in the Bible, because Mm. I would have, like some of these things, like you're saying with the Midrash, where he's not, he's not quoting it, Paul's not quoting um, the Old Testament exactly word for word, and then some of these um, chronologies where they're not, it's not specific person to person, if you understand the culture, that helps you to explain those things, and it it may cause, um, you know, some things that may cause you problems, you can say, okay, I, I can understand it now better because I understand Jewish culture.
2: Right. I've, I've told kind of missionary rabbis I've talked to, I said, with all due respect, if you find some difficulty in the New Testament genealogy, you might want to deal with your own genealogies first, because there's yeah, some right. tough things to deal with in there <laughs> as well, you know? So so anyway.
0: <laughs> oh my so. gosh. It's like the matzah calling the other matzah striped.
1: That's a Jewish <laughs> joke. <laughs>
0: that was terrible. All right. Um, let's go on to, let's get on to John three. And, and this is a passage that, you know, I was recently talking to a friend of mine about who's not a believer, and, um, and he, his funny, he said he always he used to work construction with this group of guys and he called them the born again's. Yeah, those born again's, this and that, and born again's, this and that. And I never understood what that born again's thing is. What in the world does that even mean? I've already been born once. Why do I need to be born again? Blah, 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 blah. So this is, I think, a really interesting, um, passage. Um, and it's in John 3, and, and, and Jesus, Yeshua, is talking to, um, Nicodemus. And of course, the, the, the famous passage that you know every kindergartner learns is john 3:16 um but actually prior to that is really where not not that that's good it's it's extremely good uh for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son uh that he whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life but if we back up a little bit um we get into this um question that nicodemus poses to jesus but let's just start reading in in, in chapter 3 verse 1 Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things as signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? And Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Now, I want to back up a little bit, because this is the passage where we get the term being born again from. And it's critical, there's one word in this, in this passage, in verse 4, and it says, Nicodemus said to him, he poses this question, how can a man be born again when he is old? He doesn't say, how can a man be born again? question mark He says, when he is old. And then down, if we look farther, Jesus says, um, let's see here. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Now, he didn't say a teacher. He says the teacher, and this is critical. And this is where we get into—do you have a question, Aaron?
1: Well, I was going to say, depend. what translation do you have? I'm sorry, ESV. Because, okay, so the ESV, which is—and this, I guess, this is why translations are important. Right. Because I've got the Holman Christian Standard here, right. and it does say A.
0: Right, and— correct me if i'm wrong anthony but i'm pretty sure the greek is emphatic as the teacher
2: yeah let me look real quick Ah, uh, yeah it does it says it says ha uh the daskalos. so yeah it is the teacher
0: right so that's a critical denotation um and just,
1: my mind has it has a note that says or the or, teacher but right. i guess they've just chosen to call they've chosen to say a teacher
0: yeah and Holman Christian is it's a great translation in a lot of different areas. It's a little less literal than it the is, ESV. Right. Which is yeah.
1: important to understand about these about translations. Yeah. Right.
0: Um but so the teacher of Israel, that means he's the guy, right? He's not a guy, he's the guy. Okay. He's kind of like the I don't know what you would want to say it, the the founder of the master's seminary. He would be like, I don't even want to say his name <laughs> because I'm not a big fan. But um <laughs> but let's but if you go to he says um the initial question: How could a man be born when he is re- be born when he is old? In Jewish thought, a person can be born again multiple times. This is something that we don't really think about in today's day and age. It's not something that, that is certainly not discussed within um, Gentile circles because that's not their culture. But within Jewish culture, you're born. Okay, when you get bar mitzvah, you're born again. When you get married, you're considered to be born again. When you, get, when you become a rabbi, you become born again. And then if you become, um, I'm trying to think of, what's the Hebrew term, Anthony? Um, is it Rosh Hashiva? Is that right? Uh, basically, uh, the teacher or the chief rabbi of something. Right, right. Um, so here is a guy, Nicodemus, who he's done all these things. He's been born, right? He became born again when he got bar mitzvah. He got married, he became a rabbi, born again all these times, and now is the teacher of Israel. He's been born as many times again as you could possibly get. And this is why he asks the question, how can man be born again when he is old?
1: So you're saying it does? it's not just how can he be born again? Uh, he says, how can you, you know, can anyone enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? The critical distinction here is he's saying... As an old man who's been through he's, there, is no other ceremony that right. he can be where he can be yeah. quote unquote born again. Right, and that's what he's saying.
0: Yeah, he's checked off all the boxes. So that's when Jesus goes into the spiritual birth aspect of what he's really talking about. Because here's a guy who's top of his game. I mean, he's done everything right. He's done everything he could possibly do. And as far as this question is posed, well, what are you talking about being born again? You're talking to the chief, the chief chief dude. You know, um, what are your thoughts, Anthony?
2: It's very interesting in the Greek. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, Craig Keener points this out. Uh, I can't take credit for this. Craig Keener says there's a wordplay. Uh, the Greek word can mean born again, or it can mean born from above. So, in the way, of course, the way Nicodemus understood this was that he was, at, you know, say, taking Jesus, like, how can I enter into the womb of my mother again to be born again? Or how can I do all this stuff again? You know, and, and Jesus meant to be born from above, that's what that's – what you'll find different translations on this. But mm-hmm. again, it's, it's naturally the same thing. If you want to say born again in the sense of spiritual sense, it means to be born from above. Literally, the Greek says to be born from above. Oh, it's, not a miss, it's, it's, it's not a mistranslation. You can translate it as born again, but it, it's more literal born from above. So it is a spiritual birth. Right. So would it be
1: better than, Anthony, for us to say born from above Christians as, gets, as opposed to born again Christians?
2: I mean I, I wouldn't play semantics with it. And if okay. somebody don't know if somebody don't know the Greek, now again, if you like say you're discipling somebody and somebody comes up to you and says, Man, what does the original Greek mean here? You can go to that level. But if I'm gonna speak in front of somebody and that's all they know, they don't know the Greek, they don't know the Hebrew, they only have English, or here in Mexico, they only have Spanish and the Spanish says born again. I'm not going to say, if you say born again, you're mistranslating everything. No, because right. the, the, the concept is still the same. I'm just telling you guys, because you guys are more mature and you're apologists, and you know things that I don't know. But the, the Greek literally says, and again, you can check Craig Keener, Dr. Michael Brown, Heiser, and all these people talk about this, that it literally means born from above. But it's a wordplay. Because so you can mean one or the other. So Nicodemus took it as, okay, he, he's talking about me, me going into my mother's womb again. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm talking, when, just as David said, uh, he's saying, no, this is talking about being uh, born of the Spirit, basically. you know, Having that regeneration inwardly.
1: This, it's interesting you said that because I was looking at my notes in my uh, Holman Christian Standard Apologetic Study Bible, <laughs> which is a good yeah. one to have. But um, but he's talking about, it. actually talks about that, Anthony, and it says that some people— Say, um, and I just had never noticed this because I probably never thought about this until you just brought it up, Anthony. Um, it says some people say that um, the word play, play on words between born again and born from above, only works in the Greek and not in the Aramaic. Now, is that you're an yeah. Aramaic and a Greek scholar? Is that true or false?
2: I, I would have to look into that. Okay. Uh, to, me, to, to me, it wouldn't matter because Greek was predominantly uh, from 400 B.C. because of the influence of Alexander the Great and all the Jewish literature written in Greek, the Jewish Apocrypha, and so on and so forth, and Josephus. Uh, it, it was a language the Jews accepted in the first century because of wh- how they wrote it. So it wasn't a big deal to me. If it would have been a huge deal or the Peshitta written in Aramaic or, uh, you know, would have just completely contradicted it, somebody would have said something by now. So I'd have to double check that, but I don't think it's a big deal. Okay
0: hey anthony let me ask you this um getting off topic a little bit but uh is there any evidence um for or against you know i've I've heard kind of off the cuff people say this and i've never found anything on it but um that matthew would have possibly been written originally in aramaic or hebrew is there any water to that at all
2: um, there are church fathers, okay? And, and here's how I stand. I look at the church fathers like I look at the Talmud. I have to always test it by culture and context of the original scriptures, the New Testament or the Hebrew Bible. But there are church fathers. There's like four or five different references where they said that Matthew had an original Aramaic or Hebrew. You can translate the Greek either way. So there there is reference to this, but we don't have that today. Right. So when people, when people say that we have the original Hebrew Matthew, no, they don't. They have later translations. You can go into Dr. Howard has a book called the the Hebrew Matthew. But he doesn't call it the original Hebrew Matthew. He, it's a it's a translation. You can go into the, uh, what is it, the uh, uh, Tov translation. I, I think it's uh, I can't, uh, the Bible, Shem Tov. I think it's what it's called, translation of the Hebrew Matthew. But again, these are all way after the Greek Matthew. So is there a Jewish mindset behind Matthew? Absolutely. Is there idioms and so on that you may not find in the Greek uh, text in and of itself i say yes there's a jewish mindset behind it but we do not have an original matthew church fathers mentioned it but we we don't have it uh, that, that that's the bottom line sadly
0: hmm, very interesting well let's get on to our final discussion for the day
1: cowboys are packers no, <laughs> <that was all. laughs> are you a cowboy are you gonna be a cowboys fan anthony since you're moving to uh, texas or is that I mean, that's pretty much required, isn't it?
0: No. Man, I guess you'd be a Texans I, I,
1: fan. You, gotta, you <laughs> have to like football. That's, that's required. You, man, you, I have to,
0: you have to be a UT fan, an Aggies fan, or a Texas Tech fan. If you want to <laughs> have some fulfillment in your life, you'll probably go UT or Aggies. If you're just a sucker for punishment, you go for Texas Tech.
2: That's what David uh, likes. Man, no. man I, used to lo- I used to love football when I was younger, and I, and I still do. It's just, man, I, I honestly, guys, working six days a week, tutoring students, and then doing family stuff— it, I don't have a lot of time, honestly, uh, to just watch stuff. So I, I'll look at the scores. I still love football. I just don't have the time to keep up with it, honestly. Yeah, I don't. So I'm either. sure. I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'll look at the football scores and root for Dallas if I'm in Texas because I don't want to get killed.
1: It <laughs> <laughs> is true. It's it's fuzzy, funny to me. Uh, Virginia Tech. I went to Virginia Tech and grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia. But Virginia Tech athletics was an idol for me forever. And I mean, I I ate and slept Virginia Tech football and basketball. And I mean, it's not that I, I still like it. I mean, it's great, but um, you know, it's just not, like you said, it's just, there's other things that just occupy my mind uh, that I, that I get into much like this last topic. um, Yeah. (laughs) Let's see that transition. That's got a pivot, pivot, David. Yeah. You Um, really hit the post there. So, uh, all right. So this came up a friend of mine, um, is uh, talking to Seventh Day Adventists, and what they're they're one um, amongst many, but one of their claims um, is uh, that the church, the modern church, is committing heresy essentially because we worship we don't worship on the Sabbath, and one of the ways uh, that one of the I guess the ways they get there is they'll say that we um, that you know that we're required to keep the Ten Commandments and um everybody wants the 10 commandments on all the walls and you know we want them in courts and all these things and we fight to keep them up there but then we don't keep the um the the the, the commandment to keep the sabbath and so um you know you guys are the old testament scholars and so
2: And a boss that allows you to have Friday night off and Saturday off and you want to keep the Sabbath, there's no condemnation for doing that. That's number one. Number two is when you try to say that the gentiles must keep sabbath must keep must keep shabbat or they're sinning this is where i think you're going above the word of god there is nowhere in the tanakh not one place where god ever judged the nations for not keeping shabbat but did god judge the nations for murder robbery idolatry homosexuality different things like that absolutely so the moral laws he absolutely judged the pagan nations for but but Yahweh never judged the pagan nations for not keeping Shabbat. He never judged the pagan nations for not keeping the feast days. He never judged the pagan nations for eating pork. He never judged it. It was always on this moral law. Now, the theocracy of Israel was is a different story because God provided. They automatically had Friday night and Saturday night off because of the theocracy atmosphere. So when they didn't keep the Sabbath, it was a big deal because it was provided for. It's not like they had uh, people of the nation saying, you must work on Friday and you must work on Saturday, whether you like it or not. The theocracy set an atmosphere where you could keep the Sabbath, and it was just normal. That's absolutely normal. But in the nations, you didn't have that, and therefore you don't find one judgment in the whole hebrew bible where god says i'm going to judge the pagan nations because they didn't keep the sabbath so what happens is the seventh day adventists certain hebrew roots people uh, and, and certain Messianics, sadly, not all, will say that, that the Gentiles must keep this and they get under condemnation. I've seen people, I used to work at a shipyard in Alabama. I've seen Messianic and Hebrews people lose their job, go up to their boss and say, I've got to keep, I can't work weekend shift no more. God told me I'm not supposed to do it. And I'm sitting here going, You're, you're misunderstanding the scriptures because you have leaders that are more zealous about the Shabbat than being consistent and coherent with the scriptures. That's why Paul said in Colossians to the Gentiles, Don't let anybody judge you by what You eat, drink, the Sabbath day, or feast day. You're welcome to keep the feast days. Okay. If you have a a Gentile boss that allows you to have it you're welcome to keep the sabbath there's no condemnation if you want to eat according to the dietary laws there's no condemnation but as soon as you think you're more holier as soon as you think you're better than those who can't you've fallen from grace you've fallen from the finished work of messiah and you've you've let arrogance come in so it's a it's one of those things where she would have to prove to me where yahweh judged pagan nations outside of israel for not keeping the shabbat and she will never find that in the hebrew bible
1: but do you, so do you think that we are let me ask, let me say this way. Do you think that we are under the Old Testament laws now as New Testament Christians? Uh, and then how do you where does the Ten Commandments come into that?
2: Um, no, I think the ultimate peace we have with God is not in a day and time. It's in the finished work of Jesus himself. He said himself in Mark chapter two that he is the Lord of the Shabbat alone um, in his finished work. We have peace with God alone. So, I, I again, it's not whether—I uh, know people today, I know Gentile believers in Jesus and Jews, Messianic Jews, that keep the Shabbat. That's fine, no condemnation. But that day and time does not give you peace with God alone. If you just keep the Shabbat day and time, and you do not have the Messiah Jesus in you, and you don't have His finished work, then you're still walking according to the flesh. You're still thinking you're going to justify yourself by good deeds, and you're not. So— um, True peace is in the in the Lord of the Shabbat Himself, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And but then you see every other commandment taught out that. Uh, every other commandment are given so Um, I think that you don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus or the apostles judge Gentiles by not keeping the Shabbat. In the Jewish atmosphere of the Gospels and the Book of Acts, Gentiles that came in, I'm sure they did keep the Shabbat because it's a Jewish culture. But you're telling me that Paul went to Colossae, he went to Thessalonica, he went to Galatia and said, I don't care what your bosses say, you're going to keep the Shabbat, and if you don't, you're going to hell. Paul knew better. Paul knew that the Gentile nations— Never were judged for this in the Tanakh. So that's why he told the Colossians, you know, don't let anybody judge you about feast days, Sabbath, or anything like that. I'm sure Paul said, if you want to do it, fine, but this don't make you any more holier uh, because this was never given to you even orthodox jews david didn't this right and according to the noahide laws orthodox jews even know that when a gentile comes that they're not forced to keep the sabbath because they put them under the noahide laws and according to traditional uh, judaism because the shabbat was never given to the nations to keep you're free to do it with no condemnation at all but as soon as somebody starts trying to force it as in, in an obligatory way uh then you're going against the tanakh and you're going against the teaching of the apostles of jesus
0: yeah, uh, Anthony, that's that's exactly right, and I would like to, let me say a couple things on this. One, very basically, um, if you want to keep the Sabbath, if you want to keep Shabbat, um, keep the Shabbat, and if you, that means that you think you're going to go to church on that day, that you have to go to church on that day, you need to go and read the scriptures of what this, what God said about the Sabbath. The Sabbath means rest. Shabbat means rest, Okay. And so the Shabbat means you stay at your house, you don't do anything, you don't do any regular work. Um, and so that can be defined a million different ways, which we could, you know, rabbinical law tries to do that. But the basic understanding is of the Shabbat is that, look, don't do any work, don't leave your house. They didn't, it's not even a day for worship, okay? Worship was done at another time. It was just to sit and do nothing. That's the definition of Shabbat.
1: Well, that's interesting because I, I didn't even thought about that, but then essentially what – and again, not saying condemning a, a group of people, but if your Seventh-day Adventists are so sort of they, – they've put so much stake in this, and yet they're violating their own – understanding right. of it by getting in their car and driving to right. church right. On, on the Sabbath.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Anthony's exactly right. Um, so that's just one thing. It's just, you that, want, you want to do it, you want to keep it that. fine, yeah. but stay, stay at your at home house. and don't... don't
1: turn your lights on. And, <laughs> that's yeah, right.
0: right. Exactly.
2: Well, well, here's the thing. I, t- I told uh, I told a guy one time that was trying to force this on me. I said, listen, here I, I, I give you an open invitation. Come stay with me and my wife. Come down here and evangelize with me. And I want you to tell the Mexicans here that I work on Friday and Saturday, I want you to tell them to quit their job because they live week to week anyway, a lot of yeah. these guys. And when they quit their job and their family goes hungry, you're going to be held accountable for God on Judgment Day because you're telling them to do something that God never forced on the nations. I said, you would never go outside of your American culture where you're at. And you know, and, you're, and as soon as you quit – and let's just, I told this guy, I said, as soon as you lose your job, let's say you have to provide. There's no other choice. You have to work on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You get the weekend shift. And you say, I'm not going to do it. And your and your wife goes hungry. And your kid goes hungry. And you're, I'm not going to do it. I'm you is that responsible? First of all, you're being stubborn. Second of all, God never gave that commandment to the Gentiles. Now, again, you're free to do it, but you can't force it. Why are you trying to give a law to the Gentiles that the Tanakh never gave them, that Jesus never gave them, that the apostles never gave them? So what I see, I see it as a misguided zeal, and it's almost a type of control and manipulation that actually destroys lives instead of giving them the true quote-unquote Shabbat rest in God.
0: Yeah, and and uh, and one more thing to piggyback on—that's that's that's right, Anthony. And those are good points. Um, One more thing to piggyback on the Noahite law thing is that, and Paul talks about this in Romans. And that when you
1: say that, do you just mean Noah? What is the Noahite? I mean, what are you meaning when you say Noahite?
0: Yeah, basically, it's it's a it's 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 uh, essentially, it just means that the the world in general is under the governments of God under morality okay right okay so, so it's essentially the moral so it's not law. that the gentile world isn't it's essentially the moral okay. law is that what you understand it to be anthony as well
2: yeah it's basically the it's commandments that god gave noah no god never told noah to keep the sabbath right right he, he, he never did so but it was moral don't murder your man because if you murder your fellow man he's in the image of god and so on so it was just commandments given to like 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 david's saying it's just the moral laws given to the world
0: right so and, and just real quickly um, and this is very, very important because it, it goes beyond the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments. And it's that, and Paul reveals mm. this in Romans as well. But the Gentile world was never held account for any part of the law whatsoever, um, and so especially the Sabbath. But let's just but you, even the moral law. Well, no, the or moral law is, is separated. Okay, okay. But but I would but I would even argue that not the moral law as laid out within the. The, the mosaic law within Ten the Ten mor- commandments right but the mo- moral law as laid out um for all of mankind just 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 like it was wrong for Cain to kill Abel okay that's, right. that's not on any tablet anywhere but he knew it was wrong and he was punished for it okay right. um and so I lost my train of thought thank you very much for interrupting it me worked. And, um <laughs> no but in generally speaking and this is something that you want I witness to fellow Jews I say as well it's like look You have all these mitzvot, which just means commandments, right? And all this that you're supposed to have with no temple. Okay, forget about the Shabbat. Let's just, if you think that you're supposed to observe the Sabbath, that means you better take on the whole law, which is an impossibility, because we have no temple. There is no system to follow. That's correct. That's correct.
1: And um, so uh, one other thing that they say is they separate the Ten Commandments from the rest of the Mosaic Law. Do you, is that... Do you agree with that? Disagree with that? Does that even make sense, or is what do you think about that, Anthony? We'll talk about the seventh-day Adventist. So, my understanding is, so that's why they specifically can then zero in on the Sabbath and and then not say well, I have to keep all the I guess these other um, Old Testament laws, but I can just focus on the New Testament. I mean, I can focus on the on the uh, Ten Commandments and um, and keep the Sabbath, but they'll say that the, the the Ten Commandments were separate and and apart from the Old Testament, you know, than the Mosaic Law, and I, 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 don't, I haven't read enough to understand exactly how they parse that out, but I know they do parse it out. Do you? What would you say to that? Does that even make any sense?
2: Um, I don't see that. Uh, well, I mean, I, well, here's what I'll say: in the in the apostles' writings of the New Testament, and and what Jesus taught. When, when they're writing to Gentiles, they teach 9 of the 10. And again, somebody would say, well, they're being deceptive. They left the Sabbath out. I would say, well, no. They recognize that this was never given to the Gentiles. Again, they're free to keep it. So it's one of those things, uh, again, I just think it's a misguided zeal. When a hebrew roots person or a Seventh-day Advent, and I was in the hebrew for a couple of years and I had to get out. There was some. It's a mixed bag, some good stuff, some bad stuff. You know and like i said i've seen people's lives destroyed over this it's almost a zeal without knowledge it's a well-meaning zeal i'm going to keep the sabbath and therefore i'm going to be blessed i'm sitting here going okay that's fine if you want to do that but your peace only comes with yeshua period right. period if you put the sabbath day and time above the lord of the sabbath himself then you're going back under the law, in the sense of trying to justify yourself by the law, instead of the one who fulfilled the law and were justified in his finished work, period. So it's a very slippery slope. It's well-meaning zeal that's misguided, if you ask me.
1: Well, they think that the, that worshiping on Sunday and on the Sabbath is actually the mark of the beast. And that's part of you know these- Well,
0: that's, that's true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Everything else is crazy, but no, that's totally religious. No,
0: that is something I can get behind. <laughs>
2: Right. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, if that's that's the case, then why not Monday? There's people that meet underground on Monday in Vietnam. I I know missionaries in Vietnam. There's people that meet on Tuesdays. There's people that meet wherever they can meet, when they can meet, according to their job schedule, according to the culture and context there. And they just want to meet to get together and have fellowship in the scriptures and have the fellowship of God's spirit. And they meet on whatever day they can meet. Uh, and God honors it because they're listening up the Jewish Messiah, both Jew and Gentile, honoring the finished work of Jesus so uh if if Sunday's the mark of the beast, I guess Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is as well. you know so uh, this right. is the nonsense. it's very ambitious and zealous without any kind of substantial uh, substantial evidence or anything in the scriptures.
1: but I think you make a great point in that it is a very in this maybe even as we're coming full full circle mm-hmm. uh, back to the beginning about a very American. Americanized understanding of when I can worship. Because like you said, to go to somebody in uh, Mexico where you are, who is trying just trying to feed their family, and their job has them work on Saturday, and to somehow tell them that they're taking the mark of the beast because on their one day off, they're going to go and worship, and it happens to be on a Sunday or a Monday or a Wednesday – That uh, somehow that they're dishonoring God, like you said, that just seems to be um, it's very easy for me to say that in in, in America where I can kind of, you know, we have so much, um, but but doesn't hold as much water. Like you said, when I have to go and start applying that to other cultures where, you know, either you're getting persecuted or you just you don't have the ability to to pick the day you get to worship.
2: Right, it's almost as cultish as those who say the KJV is the only Bible. I'm not against the KJV, but the KJV is not the original Bible. The original is Hebrew and Aramaic, and I'm not saying somebody has to know that. It's just when somebody says the KJV is the only inspired word, which when, and there's mistranslations like Pascha should be Passover and it's translated as Easter. I mean, there's many things. So I'm not against KJV. I used the KJV before I even used so uh, I, no Bible translation is without some kind of where translators have to make a choice. But and you can trust your translations. But it's when somebody gets so dogmatic about something like the sabbath or the kjv bible and you take it to an extreme till you turn into a cult you tell people if you're not reading the kjv then you're going to be misguided and it's almost a form of cultish and it leads to destruction just like if you tell somebody you must quit your job yeah i know you live week to week providing for your family but you just need to trust god it's easy for that person to say that when their needs are provided that person quits their job and guess what their blood is on my hands there if i were to tell somebody that and they They can't feed their wife and kids. That's that. We should walk with the fear of God. Again, I'm not telling those who keep Sabbath that they're wrong. I'm saying that you have the freedom to do that, but the ultimate peace comes in the finished work of Jesus. Period. And if we ever put a day or time above His finished work, Galatians says if we add one thing to the gospel, we have fallen from grace. And and that's what I think these guys are doing in their well-meaning, ambitious zeal that is misled.
1: Yeah. Amen. I think. And again, going back to what we were even talking about at the very beginning of. Even your testimony and, and maybe even my testimony a little bit is um man wh- what we're trying to do is introduce people to jesus and we can we can definitely um, make it much more complex than it needs to be and add all these things to it and uh, and make it this whole system of things that it it never was and and we don't not that we're not that we don't take away and we try to make it something that it's not by stripping away all these things either but there's so much that we can add to a simple, you know, the, the, the gospel is not um, is, is nothing more than, than confessing with my mouth and believing in my heart, right, that Jesus is Lord and put my faith in trusting him.
2: Right. And Aaron, I would, uh, I would just, uh, the last thing, man, and I'll, I'll be quiet after this. I would ask your friend, I would say, show me one time. And the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, even Jesus or the apostles, were they ever judged somebody for not keeping the physical day and time that they said we're going to mark this person? They're a heretic. They're not keeping the physical day and time, Friday night to Saturday the Sabbath. So therefore, we're going to mark them as a heretic. We're going or we're going or God judge them. They won't be able to do it. There's not one time that God ever judged Gentile nations that way. There's not one time where Jesus or the apostles ever judged Gentiles that way. So the burden of proof is on them to show you clear evidence. Most of the time they have to read into it like Matthew 5:17 where Jesus said I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets but to right. fulfill them. They have to read presuppositions into something that the that the context doesn't say. That well, that's most that's why it's misled. Well that's a, that's exactly what I was going to say is that that's what they would go to but the question is um, but
1: Jesus was doing some Jesus was fulfilling the law. So Jesus was under those Requirements, Right. So he he was he said, I didn't come to, um, to to abolish the law. And, you know, and I didn't, you know, every every jot and every tittle. I mean, it, it's all I'm, I'm keeping all of that. But because he kept it is how is now why I can have my rest. And now I don't have to put myself back under that.
2: Right, and you can read the context. Uh, Jesus starts with the law and the prophets and Matthew 5.17. He ends the, with the law and the prophets of Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. Everything in between is what he's talking about. Start with Matthew 5.17, end with Matthew 7.20. Begins with the law and the prophets, ends with the law and the prophets. Read everything in between, and that's the context of what he's talking about.
0: Right, and and, and I, I think there's probably—there's most likely some listeners out there because, uh, you know, I come there's across— There's listeners out there? But Well, this category, um, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's five total, and maybe one of the five, um, it comes into this. But, you know, there's a lot of the listeners, and I know that, Anthony, you've run into this as well, are sitting there, well, I'm a spiritual Jew, so therefore it applies to me. Um, and we don't have time to go into this, because we're at the end of the show, but perhaps we could do a show on this before, but nowhere in the entire Hebrew Scriptures and New Testament is there anything closely even ascribed as someone being a spiritual Jew um it simply does not exist um jews are a physical people descendants from uh a people group the hebrews and uh it's a it's a a nationality it's not even really an ethnicity it's a nationality that ended up being an ethnicity because god picked a single people group of people people group of people that's that right it's like a purple yeah (laughs) purple people people. (laughs) Um, but i want to encourage people who think that they're spiritual jews to study, just study the text and see if you find any um, evidence for that. And I assure you that there's not, there is nothing wrong with being a Gentile, just as there's nothing special about being Jewish. It's just that um, God picked a specific people group to work out his plan, and therefore they have certain responsibilities both, and take on certain burdens, both good and bad, that the Gentile world does not have to burden. Um, so in, in in many respects, it's actually you get a lot of the good without of the bad. Being a Gentile, there's nothing wrong with it. Be a happy goy, be a happy Gentile, and uh, and thank God that um, there is a people group that uh, has taken on that burden.
2: David, can I say one thing before we end the show? Is as that long okay? as it
0: doesn't contradict me, yes.
2: <laughs> no, it's not going to contradict. It's actually going to it's going to put the icing on the cake, bro. Not
0: just kidding. Um, <laughs>
2: So here's what I like to say: when somebody wants to, uh, and, and thank God for the Jewish people. There's a, the New Testament says that they preserved the oracles of God and they were used of God, and they and they, and they will have the end days where God is going to move mightily up upon Israel. I'll Look for that day. And I'm in debt to the Jewish people because I wouldn't even have Jesus without you guys. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm in debt to them, and I'm in debt ultimately to God using them. So the righteous remnant. But here's what I want to say: when somebody wants to uh, act, act like that the Jewish people are better than them, they have to just remember that. Abraham, according to Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, it says that he worshiped other gods with Nahor and his dad Terah. They were idol worshipers. And this is Yahweh speaking through Joshua. He's prophesying over the nation of Israel. So it was by God's grace that Yahweh calls Abraham to himself out of his idolatry. The, the you know, other gods, Moses said that the gods are demons, according to Deuteronomy 32, 17. Mm-hmm. Abraham was an idol worshiper. He was a pagan. He was a Gentile. By God's grace, he calls him to himself. And then later on, when he repents, Genesis chapter 14, verse 13 says, Abram, the Hebrew. But see, he wasn't Hebrew in the flesh. He was Hebrew because he left the idolatry to follow the one true God and God used him the birth of nations. So the origins of Israel came from a Gentile pagan. So the, anytime somebody wants to say, well, you know, uh, the Jews are better than the Gentiles. I'm sitting here going, wait, your your nation was born out of the grace of God, calling a Gentile to himself and then using him to bless the nations by his faith. So I, I think we both get humbled. Gentile and Jew come to the same Savior, come to the same humility and grace of God that we need together.
1: Amen. And I think the other great thing about that um, is we see all of these— uh, you know the, the fathers of the faith that are just as messed up and sinful as we are and so this idea that you know these these perfect people they had it all together and you know we're the ones that are messed up that's why i love the bible so much because it's just so real and authentic about just how we all are and we don't have to look at this at the text and 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 try and, and realize that they were trying to make something up they're just you know they're reporting the good the bad and the ugly of all of these people and the the great thing uh, of, you know about scripture tells me is that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's the same call that's for, that's on me and for everybody else to, to believe and to trust into in the one who's proved himself trustworthy time and time again. And I, and that's it. And that's amazing.
2: Amen. Amen.
0: That is amazing. And um, Anthony, we just want to thank you so much for coming on with us. Did you and Gentile show? And, uh, man, it'd be awesome to have Anthony back sometime, huh?
2: Yeah, that'd be
1: great. And thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate this stuff you're talking to, uh, tell me, uh, I mean, all this was, was really good, but I'm excited to go talk to, uh, my friend, uh, now about some of the things that you were saying, um, in regards to the seventh day Adventism, but yeah, we'd love to have you back on when we, when we get our fourth listener. Well That's uh, right. We'll, we'll celebrate by bringing you back on.
0: Well, Anthony might be a listener now. Well, he's four. And my I mean, wife. If he's on him. the show, he might. We might have three again.
1: Yeah, my David's wife, my wife, and now Anthony. So we got three. Yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah. And I listen to us too.
1: I don't. I don't even listen to us. You don't.
0: I'm... You don't. Do you? I got to listen to us way much, Way too much because I got to edit this stuff. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, Anthony, thanks so much. And for for our listeners, I mean, I'm sorry, we treat we you like you're five, but you're, you know, a couple hundred thousand. We appreciate that. <laughs> <Yeah>. And, uh, <laughs> um, uh, if you go to Jew and Gentile podcast at gmail.com, if you want to email us, we would love to take your questions. Uh, what, what?
1: But also, Anthony, um, I know you, you know, you're, you tutor in Greek and Hebrew. If you wanted to give out your information, so anybody that's listening, um, I mean, I'm, I would love to, um, that's I, I. don't have any knowledge in the biblical languages, and I would love to study that in my spare time. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I get some spare time. But anyway, would you give out your information? And if pe- if people are interested, can they contact you, or how does that work?
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. First of all, I want to thank you guys for the time. It was a real honor. I enjoyed it, man. So uh, I hope my prayer is that God will bless you guys. I, I told uh, David when we, were, when we were talking before we got on the show, I said, man, it's I, I love I love the vision, how you have a Jewish believer in Jesus and you have a Gentile believer in Jesus and coming together because David is going to be able to bring people that, that can introduce Jewish concepts to us Gentiles, right? And then it'll be hopefully by God's grace, by God— using us to bring them there'll be both sides and that's what i think is going to be really great about this podcast so i I pray god's blessing on you guys definitely um and like i said i go i go at the uh students pace so if somebody's interested in being coached in the languages or tutor or whatever you want to call it uh you can email me at anthony j cummings a-n-t-h-o-n-y j-c-u-m-m-i-n-g-s there's no spaces and after that there's still no spaces two three zero five eight one i know it's pretty long Anthony J. Cummings, 230581 at yahoo.com. And I'll, I'll definitely be in touch with you. And we go at your own pace. So it's not that like pressure. So if you have to stay on a lesson for three or four weeks, that's fine. Because that's what that's why I call it coaching. We go at your own pace. So if you're interested, contact me through Facebook or through uh, or through email, and we'll get back with you.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Your Facebook page is is really easy to find. Is, is the biblical language forum, I can't remember if that's private or is that public?
2: Um, it's private, but if somebody wants to know, uh, if, if somebody wants to uh, see what's going on, there's people, there's students that, that I'm coaching in there, and there's other people that are not students that will watch some of the videos when I do some language breakdowns. But if anybody's interested in joining the Biblical Language Coaching Forum, it is a closed group. Just send me an invitation, but also let me know who you are because they're troublemakers. So say, hey, I, yeah. heard this through, <laughs> say, I heard this through Jew and Gentile podcast, and i would be – let me know why you're coming because I want to keep the troublemakers out. That's all.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So, but you, I don't know how I got But dance. you let David in. I did. <laughs> let me <laughs> in let me back tell in you, let me tell you guys something. If you want to really understand the work that goes into uh, really studying the text, go on and, and get it get, somehow, you know, make some story up about how you're a good person and get in the biblical language for him like I did, and then watch some of Anthony's videos and how he breaks down the text. It's fascinating. Um, I know a, just enough to To really um, think I know something, but he is really uh, a really good expert. Um, It's fascinating, and it makes you realize that, you know what, Um, I need to do a little bit more than just read my Bible. I really need to actually study what it's saying. Not only that, but it it helps you understand why people have different points of view of why they believe what they believe on the tertiary issues issues. Is that right? Um, In other words, you know, we have disagreements about stuff. Aaron and I don't agree with everything about everything with each other. Anthony and I probably don't agree with each other on everything. Um, And a lot of it goes back to just these different little nuances that it's not right or wrong, maybe to translate something a certain way, but it's just that we may not understand um, exactly what they were meaning when they used a specific word. And so we have to study that and really delve deep and try to figure it out for ourselves. Um, and you know, the Lord helps us do that as well. But, uh, Anthony, thanks again so much. Again, uh, contact us at uh Jew and Gentile podcast at com. Also go to our Facebook group, Jew and, Jew and Gentile. And get
1: your, uh, get your blog site correct this time. Oh yeah.
0: So if you've been listening, um, I haven't been giving the right website <laughs> my own website. <laughs> It's apologeticsworkbench.com. That's a, www.apologetic You know what? I don't even know if it's plural. I don't even know. Just google apologetic workbench for and Gentile podcast. It will pop up. It's
1: apologeticsworkbench.com. It? <laughs> Anthony, I know his own blog better than he does.
0: <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> um <clears throat> but uh yeah, if you google it it will come up in the search engine. Um but uh apologeticsworkbench.com. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you very much. You know, uh, when my wife's not here, I got to have somebody figure out what the heck I'm doing. Um, thanks so much for listening again. This is David Halevi. This is Aaron Marshall. And we'll see you again soon.